welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Abraham Lincoln Logs podcast, The Young Turks, Rachel Maddow, Counterspin, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Ring of Fire, The Onion News Network, The Tom Hartman Show, and clips from Sarah Palin's CBS interview with Katie Kirk. Good morning. You are a fool. If you are worried about Sarah Palin's experience, here's why. Today, Laura Bush called Palin a quick study. <laughs> you don't understand the significance of that statement. I feel sorry for you. Because in the right circles, that is the equivalent of being granted knighthood by the ineffectual trophy wife, I Candy General. The very best that ever was. I've watched Sarah Palin with my long-suffering, beady, hateful eyes, and I have deemed her worthy. Yes, when the disastrously wrong-headed policies of her man raised the question in the minds of the American public, has he been drinking? She will be there. A visual reminder of her man's outward-facing, jimmied-up storybook, fake Christian life. Well, I guess it's okay, they'll be resigned to say. Because I read those stories about her leaving him if he goes back to drinking, and she's still there. And she is wearing a crucifix around her neck. A tiny gold crucifix, with a row of diamonds upwards and crosswise, whose cash value could end a lot of suffering. I'm sorry, everybody. I just monologued a little bit there. I guess when you're all shut up inside your own head, it gets to be kind of a cage of funny house mirrors. Yes, Sarah Palin will do just fine. She's a very quick study. Seen, not heard, honey. Seen, not heard. That's right. Quick study. And it's true. As Republican talking points now claim, there's no way you can prepare yourself for the White House. No, Sarah Palin is coming in just as green as any other former VP, exactly the same. Nothing can prepare you for that experience, which is why it's so crucial that you surround yourself with good advisors. Which is why it's so crucial that Sarah Palin not reach the White House. All right, boys, Russia's finally becoming a problem. What do we do? Um, well, Miss Palin, the war is extremely profitable. What about... Peace. Uh, I'm going to have to level with you, ma'am. It's significantly less profitable. Bad for the economy. Okay, I guess the first one, then. I think that it's reasonable to assume that if McCain ends up in the Oval Office by hook or by crook, crook is underlined and italicized, that Sarah Palin will be the first woman president, which is subconsciously the point because America wants its mommy. The fundamental dichotomy, of course, is that, yes, we do want her to make us feel safe again, but we're not, you know, she is, she's going to make us go to Sunday school. We're going to drag our feet. We don't want to get up early. Oh, do we? Oh. <clears throat> I think this is as succinct a unified field theory of American politics as I have heard. Why do stodgy old antiquarians and conservative Christians like Sarah Palin? Because the world is confusing and they want their mom. Why do left-leaning, anti-corporate, transparency in government sorts not get along with Sarah Palin? Because they have issues with their mom. You're not going to vote for Sarah Palin. Your mom is going to vote for Sarah Palin. 
Why are so many conservative Christians anti a woman's right to choose? They need more moms. But Sarah Palin got a drubbing from America's other sanctimonious sweetheart, Katie Couric. Miss Palin, what can you tell me about John McCain's political life? Oh, I can't tell you anything, Katie. Oh, anything at all. No, no, I, I assure you, Katie, I, I couldn't tell you thing one. No, really, it's just, you know, you just have to say a thing or two about his vote. Listen, Katie, I'm gonna make this clear to you. I just got here, okay? Today is my first day. Layoff. And believe you me, that does nothing to capture the actual events. You should check them out in the show notes. It's spectacular. It's so clueless and passive-aggressive and uh, bristling hatred through bared teeth. Well, I'll I'll just uh, wrap something up and get it back to you, Katie, okay? Is that good? Is that an answer? I'll get back to you. Check it out in the show notes. You'll love it. It's Winsworthy. You've said, quote, John McCain will reform the way Wall Street does business. Other than supporting stricter regulations of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac two years ago, can you give us any more examples of his leading the charge for more oversight? I think that the example that you just cited with his warnings two years ago about Fannie and Freddie, that that's paramount. That's more than a heck of a lot of other senators and representatives did for us. But he's been in Congress for 26 years. He's been chairman of the powerful Commerce Committee, and he has almost always cited with less regulation, not more. He's also known as the Maverick, though, taking shots from his own party and certainly taking shots from the other party, trying to get people to understand what he's been talking about, the need to reform government. I'm just going to ask you one more time not to belabor the point. Specific examples in his 26 years of pushing for more regulation. I'll try to find you some and I'll bring them to you. They're going to release those questions and answers presumably a day or two uh, after, I'm sorry, before the debate. And could there be goldmine there in terms of more terrible pale and answers? It's entirely possible. This woman has no earthly idea what she's talking about. You know what? I'm going to let Jack Cafferty take it from here. Cafferty <laughs> is not one to mince words. And this is why I love the guy. <laughs> And he played a part of the Sarah Palin interview, and then he had some choice words about it. And uh, great interaction with Wolf Blitzer, too. Let's let him rip. Let him rip. There's a reason the McCain campaign keeps Governor Sarah Palin away from the press. I want to play an excerpt from an interview that Palin did with the CBS Evening News anchor Katie Couric, where she was asked about the bailout package. Listen to this. Why isn't it better, Governor Palin, to spend $700 billion helping middle-class families who are struggling with health care, housing, gas, and groceries? Allow them to spend more and put more money into the economy instead of helping these 
big financial institutions that played a, a role in creating this mess. That's why I say I, like every American I'm speaking with, were ill about this position that we have been put in where it is the taxpayers looking to bail out. But ultimately what the bailout does is help those who are concerned about the health care reform that is needed to help shore up our economy, um, helping the... Oh, it's got to be all about job creation, too, shoring up our economy and, and putting it back on the right track. So health care reform and reducing taxes and reining in spending has got to accompany tax reductions and tax relief for Americans. And trade, we have, we've got to see trade as opportunity, not as a competitive, um, scary thing, but one in five jobs being created uh, in the trade sector today. We, we, we've got to look at that as more opportunity. All those things under the umbrella of job creation this bailout is a part of that Did you get that if john mccain wins this woman will be one 72 year old's heartbeat away from being president of the united states and if that doesn't scale the hell out of you it should here's the question is governor sarah palin qualified to be president go to cnn.com slash cafferty file and post a comment on my blog I'm 65 and have been covering politics as you have for a long time. That is one of the most pathetic pieces of tape I have ever seen for someone aspiring to one of the highest offices in this country. That's all I have to say. Yeah, but she's cramming a lot of information. You That's, know, there's no excuse for that. She's supposed to know a little bit of this. Yeah. You know, don't, don't make excuses for her. That's <laughs> pathetic. It was not her best answer. I, I agree with you on that. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> you should have seen when he came back and read the emails that he got. They got 12,000 emails in a matter of 45 minutes, and every one of them was scathing. And Cavity would have read them all if he could. <laughs> he got out there and he's like, oh, drivel, pathetic, ridiculous, etc., etc. Man, he nailed her to the wall. He should, he's got to. And then Wolf was just like, well, she's trying to study up. By the way, that is now ranking, power ranking number one in most pathetic excuse ever for anyone on a national ticket. Yes, we admit she knows nothing, but at least she's studying hard now to try to learn it before she becomes Vice President of the United States of America. Ridiculous! establishing your worldview. I was curious, what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand I've the world? I've read most of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. Like what coming, specifically? I'm curious that you... Um, all of them, any of them that um, have, have been in front of me over all these years. Um, I, have a I have a vast variety of sources where we get our news to. Alaska isn't a foreign country where it's kind of suggested it seems like, wow, how could you keep in touch with what the rest of Washington, D.C. may be thinking and doing when you live up there in Alaska? Believe me, Alaska is like a microcosm of America.
More now on the breaking news from Alaska tonight that Sarah Palin will not meet with investigators in the Troopergate scandal. This comes as Palin denied again in an interview that she made any personal effort to get Trooper Mike Wooten fired from his job. Palin says Public Safety Commissioner Walt Monaghan was fired from his job because of job performance issues, not for refusing to fire Wooten, Palin's ex-brother-in-law. The issue is the commissioner who was his boss, was he pressured to fire Mm. that trooper? That's the underlying issue here, right? Commissioner Monaghan. Commissioner Monaghan has said, the governor never asked me to fire him. The governor's husband never asked me to fire him. And we never did. I never pressured him to hire or fire anybody. Joining us now on the phone from Chukik, Alaska, is that commissioner, Walt Monaghan, the Alaskan official whose dismissal by Sarah Palin is the focus of the Troopergate investigation. Chief Monaghan, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Uh, Governor Palin told Charlie Gibson, you just heard the clip there, that neither she nor her husband ever pressured you to hire or fire anybody. Is that the truth? No, not entirely. The, the part about did she or anybody of her staff say fire him quote unquote, that never occurred. No one ever said fire him. What they said is things like, this man should not be a trooper. This man shouldn't represent the troopers. Those kind of things, which are inferring that to fire him. Would you describe it as being pressured um, to move him out of the office? And and how overt was that pressure if you did feel that pressure? Well, the very first time I even heard Trooper Wooten's name was by... uh, by, through her husband, Todd, who wanted to tell me what kind of character that uh, was working for me and how he had filed a complaint and, and uh, had documents and pictures and primarily he wanted to describe uh, the character of, of Trooper Wooten. And uh, that was in January of 07. It continued uh, right up until the last, I think, that popped up on this was in February of this year. So... It was continual. It was a kind of reoccurring theme. If it wasn't, initially it was with the governor and her husband, but then it became other commissioners. And, uh, and not only did they call me, but they called other members of my staff. Well, in reaction to this scandal, Governor Palin has been claiming that you were dismissed not because of any resistance to this effort to get Trooper Wooten fired, uh, but because of job performance issues on your point. She says that she was disappointed uh, in your performance on budget issues, recruitment and retention of troopers. Uh, They're pushing hard against you now on this. What is your reaction to that? Well, I'm really disappointed because obviously I think up here in the local stories, as you were starting to merge, I truly did not know why I was why I was terminated. I mean, the very first night it happened, I walked away scratching my head. But since then, watching how she jumped from one topic to another, it narrowed it down in my mind exactly why I was terminated. Chief Monaghan, um, we've had breaking news tonight that the uh, spokespeople, spokespeople for the McCain-Palin campaign are now saying that Governor Palin will not cooperate with the investigation. She will not speak to investigators. I know and you know and everybody knows that she had initially greeted the investigation um, uh, with enthusiasm. She had said that she was planning on participating in it. What do you make of tonight's breaking news? Well. I'm disappointed on on two areas here. First off, because initially she did say that she was going to cooperate, like you mentioned. But the other part, probably more fundamental, is that she campaigned, and she was all of, I think, of Alaska's hope for a open and transparent government. And now it's being thwarted. On the issue of her 
campaign for the vice presidency. The basis of this investigation is that she essentially abused her power. This investigation has gone from that initial charge to an allegation that she covered up and lied about what she did in order to avoid getting in trouble for it. Was it very clear and common knowledge at the time that members of her administration and Governor Palin herself were pressuring you about firing this trooper? Was it, was it clear, common knowledge in state government that that sort of behavior was inappropriate, out of bounds, and, not, uh, and, and an abuse of power by the governor's office? Well, I would say that it was probably very clear and known to the senior command of the Department of Public Safety and the Alaska State Troopers because we were all recipients of the phone calls. And uh, or the messages or the whatever. I mean, certainly by the fact that they they probably always already knew that this was inappropriate because they never used the word fire him. We mm-hmm. want you to fire him. So they they merely inferred it, which tells me, as a former investigator myself, that they knew it was wrong. Chief Monaghan, can I ask why you have decided to? speak publicly about this investigation. Obviously, you are at the center of this storm. It's your decision whether or not you speak to people like me in the press, whether or not you put your story out through official channels or you do it yourself. Can I ask just what's gone into your own decision to be publicly available on this? Well, I'm actually I'm holding myself a little bit back because I have resisted trying to go on air. That's, there's plenty of news crews that are trying to put me in front of a camera, and I've, I've resisted that. The idea, though, everything that, that has happened, it... Re- it harms, I think, the, the people in, in the state of Alaska in regards to some of their safety issues, as well as the, the people themselves who are charged in carrying this out. You know, Governor Palin, actually, we all had high hopes for in, in trying to bring the, the troopers and everybody else in government to where it needs to be. And that, honestly, uh, if you were to, if you were able to talk to the vast majority of the, the troopers that are stationed all across this big state, they started to see a light at the end of the tunnel. They thought that for a change now, people are going to support them. And what that does is they, in turn, support everybody else. Um, and I think right now, at least what I was told the other day, is that that, is, that has come to a screeching halt. Yeah. High and dry is the term that uh, comes to mind here. Former Alaska Commissioner of Public Safety, uh, Walt Monaghan, former Chief of Police in Anchorage, thank you very much for speaking with us tonight. I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Is Roe v. Wade a bad decision? I think it should be a state's issue, not uh, federal government uh, mandated, mandating yes or no on such an important issue. I, I'm a, um, in that sense a federalist where I believe that states should have more say in the laws of their lands in individual areas. Now foundationally also though, it's no secret that, I, that I'm pro-life, that I believe that a culture of life is, is very important for this country and personally that's what I would like to see um, further in embraced by by America. Do you think there's an inherent right to privacy in the Constitution? I do. Yeah, That's I do. the cornerstone of Roe versus Wade. I do, and I believe that um, individual states can best handle what uh, the people within the, the different constituencies in the 50 states would like to see their will ushered in in an issue like that. What other Supreme Court decisions do you disagree with? Mm. Well, let's see. There's... 
of course, in, in the great history of America, there have been rulings that um, there's never going to be absolute consensus by every American. And um, there are those issues, again, like Roe v. Wade, where I believe our best held on a state level and addressed there. So, um, you know, going through the history of America, there, there would be others, but... Um, Can you think of any? Well, I, I would think of, of any, again, that could best be dealt with on a more local level. Maybe I would take issue with, but, um, you know, as, as a mayor and then as a governor and even as a vice president, if I'm so privileged to serve, would be in a position of changing those things, but in supporting the law of the land as it, as it reads today. In an August 1st article headlined, Too Fit to be President? Wall Street Journal reporter Amy Chozik took as her premise the possibility that, with some 66% of the voting public overweight, Barack Obama's skinniness could be a liability. Wrote Chozik, quote, Despite his visits to waffle houses, ice cream parlors, and greasy spoon diners around the country, his slim physique just might have some Americans wondering whether he is truly like them. Close quote. Now, that sure sounds silly, but was there actually something to it? The piece quoted two people who claimed to have reservations about Obama's weight, wrote Chozik, quote, I won't vote for any beanpole guy, another Clinton supporter wrote last week on a Yahoo politics message board, close quote. The New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd lifted that beanpole comment to buttress her own argument that some women aren't warming to Obama. But what Chozik didn't tell readers was that that comment from a Clinton supporter wasn't something she came across. As the blog Sadly No pointed out, it was a response to a posting from Chozik herself. The only other response to her question ridiculed Chozik for asking it in the first place. Now, the Wall Street Journal later posted a correction to the online piece, noting that the article should have disclosed that the reporter used the bulletin board to elicit the comment. Apparently, fishing for quotes on anonymous Internet message boards to prop up preconceived story angles, however, doesn't itself merit a mea culpa from the paper. took issue with news reports that one of them, the Wasilla Bible Church, sponsored a conference where gays could be made straight through prayer. When the media gets it wrong, it frustrates Americans who are just trying to get the facts and be able to make up their mind on about a, a person's values. And you know, I don't know what prayers are uh, worthy of being prayed, and I don't know what prayers are going to be answered or not answered. But as for homosexuality, I am not going to judge Americans and the decisions that they make in their adult personal relationships. I have um, one of my absolute best friends for the last 30 years who happens to be gay, and I love her dearly, and she is not my gay friend. She is one of my best friends who happens to have made a choice that um, isn't a choice that I have made, but I'm not going to judge people. Yeah, now your first quote 
is just something we selected from a flurry of responses this week to a new ad by the John McCain campaign. Now, this particular comment came from Jezebel.com. I need to see Obama stepping out the limo with an upskirt shot. Then I will equate him with Brit and Paris. So this new McCain ad makes a pretty harsh charge. It says that Barack Obama is too what to be elected president? Celebrity. Yes, he's too popular to be president, too famous. Faced with an opponent who can draw massive screaming crowds in this country and abroad, the McCain campaign has decided to convince voters that this is, in fact, a fatal flaw. (laughs) The ad shows images of Britney Spears and Paris Hilton, two icons of substance-free fame. And then it calls Obama, quote, the biggest celebrity in the world. It's implying that all Barack Obama has done to deserve this fame is make an internet sex tape. Which, of course, is true, but he also helped pass an ethics reform bill, so just shut up about it, okay? (laughs) This meme has actually caught on. Pundits are now suggesting that by being widely beloved, Obama runs the risk of losing popular support. by association. Uh, let's play the gotcha game. Uh, McCain says that uh, what Obama's connection to Bill Ayers, the Weather Underground guy, is unacceptable. Here, I'll give you a quote. I think not only a repudiation, but an apology for ever having anything to do with an unrepentant terrorist is due to the American people. That's what McCain said about Obama. Uh, connection to Ayers. What did Ayers do? The big connection? Uh, he once gave money to Obama, and they went to his house uh, for some sort of meeting. I don't know if it was a fundraiser or something to do with the board, etc. Right? I, just uh, denouncing him is not enough. Right? Uh, interesting. So I wonder who uh, John McCain has taken money from and gone to their house. Of. Oh, look at that, G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, Liddy. Uh, has not only given $5,000 to the senator's campaigns, including $1,000 this year, but Liddy's home was a site of a McCain fundraiser. Oh, okay. Now you say, wait, 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 G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, that name is familiar. What, what did Liddy do? Oh, right. He was a criminal who tried to undermine our democratic uh, form of government by spying on the other party as part of the Watergate criminals. He is as un-American as anyone has ever been. He tried to undermine our whole system of government by getting one party to spy on another party, and he physically himself did it, okay? And he spent four years in jail for it. That's kind of thug criminal G. Gordon Liddy is, right? 
And as if that wasn't enough, get a load of what Liddy said to the Branch Davidians on how to defend themselves from ATF agents, federal United States agents. And this was not 40 years ago. This was just last uh, decade. He says, quote, If the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms insists upon a firefight, give them a firefight. Just remember, they're wearing flak jackets, and you're better off shooting for the head. This guy in the 1990s said, shoot federal agents in the head. Now imagine if a guy like that was black and said that and was connected to Obama and did a fundraiser in Obama's house. A black radical saying, shoot federal agents in the head. This place would, the whole country would be on fire right now. Oh, it's a white guy saying it and he's a Republican. Oh, then don't worry about it. Can anyone explain that hypocrisy? Can anyone explain that double standard? You think that's all with G. Gordon Liddy? Get a load of this. A very compassionate guy about Vietnam. He said, uh, quote, I wanted to bomb the Red River dikes. It would have drowned half the country and starved the other half. There would have been no way the Viet Cong could have operated if we had the willpower to do that. Talking kind of like Hillary Clinton language. If we had obliterated Vietnam and killed the entire country, because he would have drowned one half and starved the other half. If we'd killed everybody in Vietnam, we would have won. Oh, we didn't have the willpower to do that. That's a shame. What a lovely guy G. Gordon Liddy is. But if you think that's bad, wait till you get a load of his quote about Adolf Hitler. I mean, this guy, if you put him in a comic book or a, a, a movie, you'd say, oh, that's not a believable character. Here he is. Quote, when he listened to Hitler on the radio, quote, it made me feel strength inside I had never known before. Hitler's sheer animal confidence and power of will entranced me. He sent an electric, an electric current through my body. Sounds like Chris Matthews listening to Barack Obama. G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, when I heard Hitler, it entranced me. That strength of will sent an electric current through my body. And you might say, hey, Cenk, you know, he's just talking about Hitler's uh, magnetism. He is not saying that he agreed with his views. He might have had a better argument if he didn't go ahead and try to undermine the U.S. government and spend four years in jail for it. <laughs> okay, this guy's a criminal. This guy's a thug. This guy is advocating doing headshots on federal agents. Now, you say, well, but he raised money for McCain and had a fundraiser at his house. But does McCain actually uh, like G. Gordon Liddy? Does he actually... Uh, befriend G. Gordon Liddy. Maybe he's just like Farrakhan with Obama. So Liddy supports McCain. What can McCain do about it? That's interesting. I wonder if McCain ever went on G. Gordon Liddy's radio show. Oh, he did. Oh, it was last November, recently. Huh, interesting. Let's see what did he say. McCain gushed about G. Gordon Liddy. Quote, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of your family. It's always a pleasure for me to come on your program, Gordon. And congratulations on your continued success and adherence to the principles and philosophies that keep our nation great. I expect a denouncement, a repudiation, a rejection, uh, and a public flogging of uh, Liddy by McCain. And I expect 24 hours coverage of this on uh, all of your news channels for the next two weeks. I hate to do it to you, but you know, whenever you turn on TV, you're going to hear about G. Gordon Liddy being connected to McCain. Oh, you're not? Oh, you turned on your TV and you didn't see that, huh? That's strange. Why do I keep emphasizing this? 
because this is how the Republicans pervert our system, put their propaganda out there, and win elections. Because the media lets them. Not lets them, helps them. When it's a so-called guilt-by-association smear tactic by uh, the Republicans against the Democrats, or by Hillary Clinton against Obama, they're in. They're like, oh, stovetop, I'm staying. What do we got for dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's connect, right? Let's connect Ayers. Let's connect everybody we can. Farrakhan, Harry Belafonte. Let's connect everybody to Obama and talk about it nonstop. When it comes to McCain, oh, Reverend Hagee, shh, don't say a word. G. Gordon Liddy, shh, don't say a word. Now, when you have this kind of unbalanced playing field in the media, and 74% of Americans get their news from television, and when they turn on television, they never hear about the radicals that are in McCain's camp, and all they hear about is these wildly tangential guys who once supported Obama. Gee, I wonder how the American people get misled into voting for Republicans. That's how. And this isn't history. This is today. It's happening today. It's happening in front of our own eyes. And then they'll look back, the media will, just like they did in 2004 and 2000 and all the other elections, and they'll say, oh, well, nobody could have seen that coming. Oh, we lied about Al Gore and said that he claimed that he invented the Internet and the love boat and the love canal and all that stuff. Oh, the love story. Oh, we made all that stuff up and we did a hatchet job on him. Nah, nobody could have seen it coming. If only we'd known it then. Well, I'm telling you now, okay, you're doing a hatchet job on Obama and you're letting McCain completely slot. Are you going to fix it? I wouldn't hold your breath. I will try not to breathe I can hold my head still With my hands and my knees These eyes are the eyes of the old Shivering and bold I will try not to breathe This decision is mine I have lived a full life These are the eyes that I want you to remember Our first email comes from John in Lake Park, Florida, who asks, Considering that one of McCain's chief advisors is a lobbyist for Georgia, would he be more apt to spend our resources there? Well, I guess the short answer to that would probably be, yes, we could definitely expect that. You know, for someone who claims to despise lobbyists, McCain certainly keeps some strange company, as is the case with his top foreign policy advisor, Randy Schooneman, who also happens to be a lobbyist for the country of Georgia. Here's the story. On April 17th of this year, John McCain met with Schooneman to go over strategies on how best to help Georgia before McCain got on a call with Georgian President Mikhail Saakashvili. On that very same day, Schooneman's lobbying firm called Orion Strategies, of which he is a part owner, signed a $200,000 contract to continue providing strategic advice to the Georgian government in Washington. This, you know, has raised tons of eyebrows among lobbying experts because at this point you got to ask yourself who the client really is for the lobbyist. Does he stay loyal to the client that's paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars or to the presidential candidate? At the end of the day, Schooneman knows that the contract with Georgia will still be there, but McCain winning the presidency is something that more than likely isn't going to happen. 
So in this instance, it doesn't take much to realize where Schooneman's loyalties most likely lie. You know, McCain tried to use the whole Georgia-Russia conflict to boost his foreign policy cred. And, you know, the sad thing is that it actually worked. This was the only time that he actually managed to catch up to Obama in the polls for a few days. Obviously, it didn't last long because people quickly realized that McCain was putting America in a dangerous position. He was threatening Russia with U.S. military action, which is something that you just can't do. Russia is not a third world desert country that may or may not have chemical weapons. It is a world superpower that, in fact, does have nuclear weapons. You have to approach these things with some tact and diplomacy, and McCain completely failed to do that. Bad luck comes in from Tampa. Bad luck comes in from Tampa on the back of a truck. Doing 90 up the interstate. We have bad dreams the night he rolls in. We have bad dreams the night he rolls in. And we try to keep our spirits high. But they fly and they wait when the truck pulls up out front. In the light spring rain And they sigh Like withering flowers Let the good times roll On Through these first few desperate hours After dozens of Republican attack ads, Barack Obama finally fired back this week with a series of constructive criticism ads that gently point out inconsistencies in McCain's policies. Let's take a look. Barack Obama thinks John McCain is a true American and would make an excellent president. But it seems like some voters might be confused by his health care plan. Barack Obama is sure it is a good plan, but maybe it could be expressed more clearly than it is now. Maybe Senator McCain could give a couple of specifics. Then again, Senator McCain could probably continue doing what he's doing now and would surely win a lot of votes anyway. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. Joining us now from the War for the White House election analysis bunker is Jack Bergen. Jack, good to see you. You too, Andrew. Now, Jack, Obama has clearly decided to take the gloves off and go negative. That is right. He's telling Republicans, you punch me in the face, I'm not just going to stand there. I'll wince, raise up my hand, and ask you politely to stop. Were you surprised by this move, Jack? Actually, Andrea, we've seen Obama using consistently more forceful language uh, over these past few months. Oh, Go back right, to July, have. where he called McCain a real character. He is really baring his teeth yes, now. Yes, and that's the point he was trying to make with this next ad as well. John McCain would further embroil American troops in Iraq. Barack Obama feels this is wrong for America. But that's not to say Barack Obama is perfect or anything. If McCain wanted, he could point out that Obama voted to subsidize coal interests despite his rhetoric against global warming. Not that McCain has to do that. Barack Obama is just saying. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. <laughs> oh, Ouch. goodness. Those are some scathingly helpful suggestions in that ad. That is right. Uh, Obama's campaign manager, David Plouffe, said Obama wanted to hit McCain hard, mm -hmm. but not in a way that would hurt McCain's feelings. Or make him think that Obama doesn't like him as a person, right? right? exactly. Now, is Obama going to bring up any of these points of contention in his next debate with McCain? No, he'd be too nervous to say them out loud to McCain's face. We have heard Obama has been having some second thoughts about the Yeah, ads. according to campaign insiders, Obama was up all night with a stomachache, worrying the ads would make McCain, quote, hate him. Really? His concerns over the previous two ads caused him to create this apology ad, which okay. started running in key battleground states tonight. Let's take a look at it. 
Barack Obama is sorry if he made John McCain mad before. He's just running this ad to say, no matter what happens, Obama hopes they can stay friends. Because presidential races come and go, but friends are what matter in the end. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. Well, that was very nice of Obama. Now, tell me, Jack, how has McCain reacted to the ads? He's planning to release an ad calling Obama a gay-loving elitist Muslim, and then a second one targeted at his children. Republicans going to steal the 2008 election. It's pretty clear that in 2004, the systems, I, even if you set aside the possibility that any electronic voting machines were flipped anywhere, that in Florida they simply said to 70, 80, 90,000 African Americans, sorry, you can't vote. And in Ohio, they said, eh, if you're voting while black, you're going to have to wait in line 14 hours. If you're voting while white, 15 minutes among other things i mean it's just just that's just the surface stuff but let's peel the layer back and go a layer deeper here mark crispin miller is with us uh, a dear friend a brilliant author uh the uh, his most recent book loser take all and mark hey welcome to the show thanks for having me on tom it's nice to hear your voice again yeah thank you mark mark crispin miller.blogspot.com by the way the website Tell us about these uh, these Republican whistleblowers who are coming forward. Yeah, yeah. As you noted, uh, you and I have been talking about this issue for years now. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the good news is uh, that there is a um, an unimpeachable whistleblower out there now. The reason why most folks haven't heard his name is, of course, that the press tends to, you know, turn a deaf ear. A, there's a corporate media blackout on this, and B, no Democrat will talk about it because they're so tail between their legs terrified that anybody might talk about election fraud. They think, they believe this kind of, this Bob Trump story, apparently, that uh, if the American people thought that uh, the voting machines weren't safe, that they wouldn't come out and vote, and therefore they wouldn't vote for Democrats. Yeah, which is demonstrably false because uh, there was a lot of press about the iffiness of the voting machines before the 2006 election. Right. And we had the highest turnout in an off-year race since, you know, 1970. So right, and you had a hell of a lot of people saying, give me the paper ballot, please. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I don't really think any party that calls itself democratic should keep people in the dark. Yeah. Well, here's, here's some daylight for everyone. There is uh, an amazing whistleblower out there named Stephen Spoonamore, which is exactly the way it sounds, Spoonamore. Right, he's a lifelong this, Republican. Lifelong Republican, an erstwhile member of the McCain campaign, until he discovered so much about the Republicans' election fraud that he resigned. 
and a prominent expert on computer crime. Now, two years ago, Tom, this guy gave a long interview to one of the major news networks. Uh, I should say one of the network, one of the news divisions of one of the three major networks. Hmm. It's up online. You know, people can get it at my blog. Yeah, markcrispinmiller.blogspot.com. That's right. It's 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 stunning. But but let me move beyond that and and just tell people what this guy has to say. This guy has come out and said. Uh, and he has documentary evidence to prove this, and he's talked to all the principals, and the long and short of it is that the Bush team has been stealing elections since and including 2000. Uh, Spoonamore has named Carl Rove's IT guy. Carl Rove has, has basically This is had Michael Connell, right? Mike Connell, right, a fervent Catholic and fanatical pro-lifer, who told Spoon that he has helped the Republicans to steal elections to save the babies. I'm not making this up. Uh, whenever Karl Rove wanted something done, uh, he would say to Connell, just make it happen. And, and this kind of thing has included Florida in 2000, uh, Ohio in 2004, also Don Siegelman's stolen re-election in Alabama in 2002. Evidence suggests he was involved in the theft of Do um, of Max Cleland's re-election in Georgia in 2002. Yeah. The long and short of it is that uh, that Spoonamore knows this guy, and it gets even hairier because it turns out that after having helped Saxby Chambliss beat Max Cleland in Georgia in 2002, one of the first by things, flipping the machines by flipping the machines, right? One of the first things that uh, Chambliss did was give. Connell's company, which is called GovTech Solutions, the contract to run his own congressional website. Now, if people go to the website for GovTech Solutions, they'll now find a long list of the congressional websites that Connell's company has been running. What I'm telling you is that Connell uh, has been operating behind the congressional firewall. He operates the computer websites for the House Judiciary Committee. Senate Intelligence Committee. What we're what we're noting here is, you know, a fervent partisan now operating with impunity and able to help Rove and others basically read every word that the Democrats send each other by email and so on. Also, uh, Spoonamore has uh, a record of the moment when Connell asked him how to destroy White House emails. This thing is enormous. Okay. Spoonamore's revelations are driving an extremely important RICO lawsuit that's coming out of Ohio, and it's managed this is the by the Organized Crime and Racketeering Act. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they have named uh, the defendants include not only the Republican National Committee and the White House, but the Chamber of Commerce, which it turns out has been operating as a kind of stealth pack for years hundreds of millions of dollars channeled into front organizations to help the Republicans, uh, quote, win, unquote, elections. Also, big tobacco is involved. Now, people can actually go to a special, a dedicated website run by Velvet Revolution, mm -hmm. which is the nonprofit that's sort of in charge of this whole thing. It's rovecybergate.com, okay? Rove cybergate, all one word, dot com. Here's the thing, Tom. What, what, 
what the people doing the lawsuit want to have happen is basically to depose all the perpetrators of election fraud over the last several years, most notably Karl Rove, but also Mike Connell, also Jack Abramoff, also Bob Ney, the author of the Help America Vote Act bill, who just recently got out of prison. Mm-hmm. Also, four, Who will be on this show tomorrow? What would you like me to ask him? I would like you to ask him uh, what he knows about uh, systematic efforts to steal elections and see what he says. Okay. Because if um, Velvet Revolution and the lawyers can move forward with these depositions, and this is a civil case, Tom, so as we know from the Paula Jones episode, you can't really weasel out of a civil case, a civil deposition very right. this easily. This is how they nailed Bill Clinton. That's exactly right. Yeah. we got to get these people under oath, on the record, answering questions. Spoonamore is there, a Republican, an erstwhile McCain supporter, a computer fraud expert. He is there to tell the world that the Bush regime has indeed been subverting the American election system since 2000. Okay. So we now have, actually, I thought that the first time that there was a significant deviation, uh, a well-documented significant deviation from exit polls and pre-polls uh, and the electronic machine results was when George Bush Sr. was running in a primary in New Hampshire back in whatever year that was, 80-something. Yeah, yeah, well, that was, uh, actually, that makes a certain amount of sense. That would be, that would be uh, 88, right? As I recall, yeah. Right, that was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that well, was the very first time that there was a real significant deviation. That's, that's right. And funny you should mention that, Tom, because as it happens, uh, Mike Connell was discovered by George Bush Sr. George Bush Sr. is the one who discovered uh, Mike Connell. And, and Carl Love used to work for George Bush Sr. as well. Exactly. Actually, the infection starts with him. And let me add that in New Hampshire, uh, John Sununu, you know, the elder, that is Bush's pal and the governor of New Hampshire, at the time that Bush Sr. won his primary, uh, he's, he's, heavily, he's been heavily into computers for a long, long time. You know, this extends all the way up to the recent primary in New Hampshire, where they use the same machines and where uh, Obama actually won, you know, see, in New Hampshire, 16% of the vote is hand-counted. Most people don't know, because the press has not reported, that Obama won the hand-counted vote in New Hampshire in the recent primary by six points. Hillary Clinton won the optical scan-counted vote by some five points. There is no doubt in my mind that the Republicans gamed that primary on her behalf because at that point they wanted very much to run against her and then thereafter continued to game a number of races through the machines in order to uh, exacerbate the divide within the Democratic Party.
Progress.org went back to an interview that McCain did on Letterman right after September 11th. It was on October 18th of 2001. And the answers that McCain gave in that interview are amazing. Uh, they sh well, now, knowing what we know now, boy, did he they screw up a couple of things. But also, look at what he says about Iraq, too. And look at the mistakes that they made and then they continue to make. So the first one is a joke about Osama bin Laden. Now, this is just barely a month after September 11th, and he's already cracking jokes about bin Laden. Here's, here it is. Do you know what Osama bin Laden is going to be for Halloween? <laughs> These jokes have started already. Dead. Oh, dead. Dead. <laughs> and McCain grins like an idiot there. Meanwhile, seven Halloweens later, he's still quite alive. Ha 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 ha. I mean, the thought of re-electing these guys? What are you, nuts? <laughs> by October, he'll, by the end of October, by Halloween, he'll be dead. Seven long years later. Where are you, John McCain? Where's that joke? Let me hear that joke again. You guys suck at counterterrorism. You're terrible at it. You endanger this whole country with your incompetence. And Democrats never say this. They just say, oh, no, no, don't challenge us with being bad in counterterrorism. No, no, you have to go make a proactive case. See, John McCain and George Bush, they don't know what the hell they're doing. That's why bin Laden's still alive, because John McCain and George Bush are incompetent, and they endanger you and your family. Clip number two. How are, uh, how are things going in Afghanistan now? I think we're doing fine. I think we've uh, removed what little anti-aircraft capability they have. These uh, C-130 gunships are pretty awesome uh, uh, weapons uh, of war, and I believe that uh, the Taliban will be removed. I think we'll get him and his people. Didn't, I think didn't the get a part, lieutenant of his uh, today or the last 24 hours. Or my understanding, yeah. I think I think the hardest part is harder part is going to be when we have to we bring in helicopters and put people on the ground. They still have some of these shoulder-held uh, surface-to-air missiles that right. helicopters are vulnerable to. But I, I think we'll, we'll do fine. The second phase, if I could just make it very quickly, the second phase is Iraq. Uh, there is some indication, and I don't have the conclusions, but some of this anthrax may, and I emphasize may have come from, come from Iraq. Oh, is that right? If that may be the case, then that, that's when some tough decisions are going to have to be made, too. Hmm. Why well, isn't that interesting? First off, uh, Afghanistan is fine. That's a month after September 11th. The operations are going there. Great there. And, in fact, the Taliban will be removed soon. <laughs> Seven years later, Taliban still not removed. In fact, gaining ground according to our own armed forces on the ground, according to the latest reports. And look at it. A month after September 11th, second phase is Iraq. They were dying to go into Iraq. It didn't have anything to do with 9-11. They were chomping at the bit. They're like, hey, Afghanistan is fine. Taliban's been removed. Let's move along to the second phase of Iraq. You think it was just George Bush? You think it was just Dick Cheney? Look at John McCain. He's part and parcel. Selling a war to the Americans, selling a false, fraudulent war to the Americans right after 9-11. And then finally, anthrax. Oh, yeah, I heard the anthrax might have been from Iraq. Really, who did you hear that from? A little neocon bird told you? Totally made up. Now we know. It's based on no evidence. None. There was never any evidence linking the anthrax to Iraq. Not even close. They just made it up. And you know who they is? It's not an amorphous 
set of uh, people. It is real people, people like John McCain, who made the decision, we're going to go to war with Iraq no matter what. I don't give a damn if they had nothing to do with anthrax and nothing to do with 9-11. I'm going to go lie to the American people on the David Letterman show, and I'm going to get this country into a war. It's not just George Bush. There he is. It's John McCain. And he does it again. Well, I'm going to save that clip to the end. Let's just go to clip number eight here, though. Uh, now, you talk about the, the, the next phase of activity in Afghanistan uh, and would be to physically go in and, and remove, bring uh, Osama bin Laden out, and, and I guess there's a list of a couple of dozen other people that we're interested in. Is that possible? Is that likely? Is, are we closer to that? Maybe preparing him for Halloween. Uh, but uh, but uh, you either kill him or capture him, but you also have to take care of the other networks. But please don't underestimate the fact that there are other terrorist organizations in other countries that have to be taken care of. As the President has said on a number of occasions, the countries that are responsible for those organizations will be held responsible. So uh, we will succeed. It may be a long struggle, but the longer struggle we're prepared for, the shorter it may be, because the more serious these people think we are and believe we are and we are serious, then I think they might, you know, go back to right. selling camels or whatever uh, enterprise that uh, they might want to engage in. See, that camel joke is exactly what we were talking about with our last guest. That subtle, like, oh, what difference does it make in all these countries if we bomb them and go to war? These camel jockeys. Now, it was a month after 9-11. If it weren't for all the other things that John McCain has said that are so similar, you might give him a little bit of a pass. All right, but don't worry about that. Focus on the larger issue. Hey, it's not just about Bin Laden. Oh, Bin Laden will kill or capture him. Easy, easy. Kill or capture him. Seven years later, neither killed nor captured. Uh, but then he says, yeah, yeah, but the real thing is other terrorist networks in other countries. He went into that Letterman interviewing, interview knowing, full well knowing, I'm going to try to sell the Iraq war here. I know it has nothing to do with 9-11 but I'm going to go and try to sell it to the national TV audience because I want that war. Come hell or high water. Oh, yeah, Bin Laden, we'll kill or capture him. Who cares? Let's go to Iraq. You don't believe me? Here's the final clip. Overall, it's great. The Russians have been surprisingly cooperative. I think it's going very well. The crunch time, I think, will be if, if, and I emphasize if, we have to go after Iraq and then that coalition could be strained but nothing succeeds like success we succeed here then i think you know it's a uh, world power politics is very interesting people are very friendly when they know that you're the most powerful kid on the block yeah see he that's a really telling answer because he knew that our allies weren't going to go along you heard what he said it's october of 2001 and he says well, well if if we have to go into iraq our allies might not come along with us and then that's going to be a little bit of a harder challenge but if we succeed, then, you know, they'll come along because we're the biggest kids in the block. You know, we'll just topple Afghanistan and we'll topple Iraq. We'll sit on top of their oil. I mean, yeah, 9-11, weapons of mass destruction. What do you need to hear, Letterman? Look, this guy was part and parcel of the fraud that was played upon you that got over 4,000 Americans killed, over 40,000 injured, maimed, and wounded, and hundreds of thousands of Iraqis killed when they full well knew that it had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks against us. Now, knowing this, how negligent would you be to elect that guy as president? Now, when he has says similar things about Iran, look at what he just said about Iraq, and then they delivered on it. When he says similar warnings about Iran, you don't believe him? 
You don't think he might go into Iran just like he went into Iraq? You're going to let him go? Why? Why would you do it? Why would you elect the guy to make the same mistake? He doesn't even think it's a mistake. If you ask him, he says, no, the Iraq war was the right thing to do. And after Iran, he'll say, no, Iran was the right thing to do. Don't look behind you. Now oh, that's all in the past. Let's just look at how we get out of Iran. That's exactly what they did with Iraq. And if you buy into it and you vote for him, you're a sucker. And you have no one to complain to, because he's been very clear on it. Giving you the same exact language about Iran that he did about Iraq. Re-electing these guys is unconscionable. Thanks for listening, everybody. I just wanted to let you know what you've been missing if you haven't been checking out our blog yet. A couple of recent articles. Uh, one, we actually uh, did a little write-up and, and tracked back to a uh, Jack Cafferty article. And uh, and it was actually referenced in the podcast. Um, and, and we just did a write-up on the full article and, and linked back to it so you can read the whole thing yourself. Uh, we just did a post about... Uh, just a, a funny one and a half minute uh, flash animation video, which was a response to the retarded Republicans chanting uh, drill, baby, drill. Uh, and, you know, a minute and a half, and it, it's worth your time for sure. And uh, and then our most recent, we just, uh, just posted a link about this new uh, Obama video that came out. Uh, I think it may have just come out on Monday of this week. And... Uh, and it's a 13-minute documentary about the Keating Five scandal that John McCain was involved in, uh, and I've I've watched it. It's great. Um, I, I highly encourage everyone to see it. It it went you know from from when I saw it, it had about 200 views, and uh, and I woke up the next morning and it had about 568,000. So it's definitely making the rounds. You may have heard of it from somewhere else. But uh, so not only should you check it out, but uh, definitely go to the blog and find out from that post uh, about the video the personal, uh, intimate connection that the Best of the Left podcast has to that video. It was an interesting story that, that happened uh, that got us involved in making that video. So uh, check all that out on our new blog, Best of the Left blog at bestoftheleft.com actually oh look at that I just made an announcement uh, we've had bestoftheleftpodcast.com has been our website since our inception and the only reason that that was our website is because bestoftheleft.com wasn't available at the time and recently it actually became available and uh, and since we're now doing more than just a podcast I've uh, I've quickly purchased bestoftheleft.com and it now redirects to uh to our main site so if that's easier to remember um that's what i'm going to start saying and, and that's what you can tell people our website is while you're on the blog checking out all that great stuff please take just a couple of minutes and fill out our pod track survey um helps us know you know how you feel about the show and uh, lets us know who you are and and it really you know helps and and suggestions that come in through there uh, get used all the time and i take them very seriously and and we're always trying to improve what we're doing so uh so give us your two cents by taking the pod track survey and uh and if you like the show really the most important thing you could do 
is just spread the word. Just uh, you know, write an email to to those people you know who think uh, you know who who you think would like the show, and let them know about it. So that is it for today. We'll be back soon with more. And on the blog, of course, there is always more coming. It's going to be a, a much much faster turnaround on new content coming out on the blog. So so check that out for more regular updates from us. And uh, and I'm excited. We've been getting a few um, a few applications to uh, from from potential bloggers who are going to be helping us out and uh, and hopefully really. Um, kicking the blog into overdrive and getting more and more content uh, flowing through that. So I'm really excited about it, and uh, and I hope you subscribe to the blog so that uh, so you can see all that new content as it comes out. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of Washington D.C. My name is Jay. And this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleft.com. Upon a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow paces the floor Who take you out